The Truth News Network. Where do you begin? Seriously, where do you begin to understand what's happening in the last 18 months? Life in this world is beginning to look like the director's cut of Lord of the Rings. Indescribable torment, tyranny, and it just never ends. Okay, let's take a moment. Separate fact from Hollywood. For that, you need the truth. DNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Here we are once again. CNN Live, produced by Truth News Network. Welcome to our Thursday edition of this week's show. And let me tell you, Thursday's edition is hot. I mean, it is fiery. I spent a lot of time yesterday evening setting up for the show today. And if you even want to know, let me just tell you a little bit about how setup of the show goes. We look at the late afternoon big stories. You know, those ones that many of the mainstream media outlets don't get because maybe they're of the conservative nature or maybe they just really don't think you need to know about them or they just really don't want you to know about them. You know what I'm talking about. And if they're important to conservatives, conservative issues, important things about our government that pertain to all of us, we're going to bring those to you. So we grab those. Sometimes there are many, but most of the time there's a handful. But then overnight, in the wee hours of the morning, I was up at 3.30 this morning. Uh, That's a little earlier than normal, but it was because I woke up. And so began to look through, and I got to tell you, overnight there was a plethora, a download of an unbelievable number of important things that just suddenly raise their heads. And so I don't want to miss on any of them. We could actually probably do a bullet point format and just give you the highlights. If if we could give you a bullet point link that you could listen to us and then bam, go click that link. Maybe somehow we could transmit it through the airwaves from Broadcast Matrix, our satellite company in Seattle, to your computer so you could just click on it and go to the story. We can't do that. So what you're going to have to do, I know it's going to be tough, but you need to listen to the show today from the top to the bottom. I don't normally tell you that. We always have important issues, and we want you to listen to every show from the top to the bottom, but I get it. We're all really busy. You've got far more things on your mind that maybe are not what you want to be involved in, But they, as far as timing, your timing, are a little more important than sitting and listening to us. That's why I want to remind you, we're here every day live, 9 to 11, Monday through Friday. That's central time. But after the show goes off, just moments later, the show is picked up at places like Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, uh, where else? iHeartRadio Podcast, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Uh, tune in and the list goes on and on of podcast hosting sites that carry our show. So how do you find it? Remember the name TNN live for your first time. When you go to any one of those podcast hosting companies, just in the search bar, type in TNN live, our homepage pops up and bam, 
Right below it are a list of the stories with hyperlinks so you can go to them with the newest story up top. So why don't we do this? Novel idea. Why don't we just get right to it? Probably, you may have heard, but maybe not, Russia's Vladimir Putin, you know, he's invaded Ukraine. I'm sure you heard about that. And he's annexed, over the last 10 days, four Ukrainian regions. Now, what does that mean, annexed? He has declared that these regions are now, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, they're Russian. They're regions of Russia. Now, how does he have that authority? Because <laughs> he took them over militarily. He just decided, we the, not we the people, but we the Vladimir Putin declare this Ukraine, this region of Ukraine, now belongs to Russia. He can do that. And in each of those four, this is the scariest part of this, he declared martial law. Now, what does that mean? In any region, in any country, when martial law is declared by whoever's in power, whoever's in charge of the operations of that country or region, declares that we're in martial law, that means they control everything. The military, their military, will make sure that they control everything. And so once again, Ukrainian people now are being told they're no longer Ukrainian people. They're Russian people, and they've got to bow to the god of Russia, Vladimir Putin. And I'll probably get annexed (laughs) myself for calling Vladimir Putin the god of Russia. He's really not. But don't tell him he's not. And certainly don't tell him I said that. I don't want to get in trouble with old Vlad. And speaking of foreign leaders, did you hear overnight that brand new prime minister in the UK, Liz Truss, 44 days in office bearing the title of prime minister, she hung it up. She hung it up. She quit. I've never seen this happen in any government, but she did. Why? Well, she rolled out a horrible tax plan and it created economic mayhem in just these few days. And she said she cannot carry on after her disastrous tax plan created economic mayhem. Those are her words. So she did say, hey, I'm going to hang around. I'm going to stick it out until a new prime minister is anointed here in the UK. There's just a whole lot of chaos over there right now. The Brits are normally, you know, they're pretty level-headed politically, and they kind of keep their stuff together. Not so much these days, and I think most would agree. Now, back here in the U.S., and remember, we're going to race through a lot of stories, and we're going to hit the highlights so we can make sure you know pretty much everything that's going on of import. Right back here, as I predicted was going to happen, yesterday, Uncle Joe rolled out, formally rolled out, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, his student loan forgiveness plan. Oh my gosh, this is going to save the world. And he rolled it out. And guess what? A group of Wisconsin taxpayers filed the petition yesterday with the U.S. Supreme Court to put an end 
to the student loan forgiveness plan announced by Joe Biden. He told us back in August he was going to do it. Well, he pulled the trigger, and they did too. Their request was filed with Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Now, why would they do that? We've told you this before. Every member of the U.S. Supreme Court has a specific region of states with which petitions that come from that state directly to the high court go to that justice first. Amy Coney Barrett is handling emergencies from Wisconsin. She has the option to act on her own or refer the petition to all nine justices on the court. Taxpayers argued in Wisconsin that the court should scrap this program by Biden because it unlawfully encroaches on Congress's spending power. Here's what it says. The assault on our separation of powers and upon the principle that the spending power is vested solely in Congress is extraordinary and perhaps unprecedented. This is coming from the Brown County Taxpayer Association. We're witnessing a gargantuan increase in the national debt accomplished by a complete disregard for limitations on the constitutional spending authority. Biden's proposal would forgive up to $10,000 in federal student loans for those that make less than a hundred and a quarter a year for individuals or a quarter of a mill for married couples or heads of households and up to 20 grand for Pell Grant recipients who meet the income threshold. The White House could reportedly start processing requests for loan forgiveness as soon as this weekend. Well, with this stay or request from Wisconsin, this petition, I would imagine that before the end of business tomorrow, you're going to see something come out at the Supreme Court that says, hey, Joe, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got a problem here. We're going to have to think this through. You can bet your bippy there's not going to be any loan forgiveness next week. The Supreme Court's going to step in, as they should, and at least consider all the ramifications of what this is going to do. Let me give you a couple of them. Okay. So, you're a guy, maybe a woman, but any American, that when you were in high school, you had a good career in high school, but you come from a middle-class family, and your folks just didn't have all the money that was going to be necessary for you to go to college, and they nor you decided that uh, you wanted to borrow a bunch of money for you to go to school. And so you thought it through. You were pretty sharp. And so you decided to go out there and find your way and make your way. And here you are 10, 15, even maybe 20 years later, you're doing pretty darn good on your job. You worked your way up through the masses in that company there, and you're making six-figure money right now. And so all of a sudden, the president of the United States, maybe even a guy that you voted for, he looks at you sitting out there, And he says this, you need to pay for your friend's student loans that he or she can't pay. They're out there 20 years later still struggling to pay back those student loans. You need to help them. And so I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to make you do it. Now, how does that make you feel? 
Hmm. Or you're just fresh out of school and you decided you didn't want a white collar job. You never felt comfortable being inside and the thought of staying inside four walls for the rest of your business career, it just didn't zing you. So you decided to get a blue collar job, maybe go with the company, a construction company, or maybe a big warehouse company like, hmm, let me think of one. Is there any of them out there? Maybe places like Amazon, big company, they'll start you out at a regular rate, but then there are all kinds of advancement opportunities. You do a good job. You're going to get a good raise every now and then, and yet they've got great benefits. So you go there. And so at your stage in your career, maybe you're making 18 bucks an hour and you're sitting on a forklift and all of a sudden you get the notice, hey, you decided that you didn't want to better yourself. And so you just decided to take the easy way out and take a blue collar job and went to work for this blue-collar company. And so we think, we here in the White House think that you're obligated to help your friend down the street that he could barely make it through the class in freshman, junior, sophomore, and junior. He was luckily to graduate, got maybe a 19, maybe an 18 on the ACT, and his mom and dad insisted that they go to college. And they were so good as parents that they set it up so that he could borrow about 60 grand to go to a really good college. He was going to come out on the other side and he was going to be set for the rest of his life. But things just didn't work out for him. And he's not, he's not being able to pay off his student loan. So we're going to make you pay your part of it, because after all, he had great intentions, and so did his mom and dad, but they can't pay it, so you're going to pay it. You get what I'm thinking? Or then, what about if you're in a real blue-collar job? You're actually on a construction crew. You're out in the, in the, the, the air every day. If it's hot, You're sweating your butt off. If it's cold, you're freezing to death, but you're doing your job. You're giving it 100%. And because you're moving so much stuff around on your job, you decided it was pretty important that you got a good pickup truck. So you decided to get a diesel pickup truck, and you did. And so you pull up at the gas pump, and you're paying $7 a gallon today for diesel. And when you're filling it up, you're sitting there and you're getting madder and madder thinking that when I took this gig and bought this truck, I was paying $3 a gallon for diesel. Donald Trump was president then. Now we have Joe Biden, his assault on fossil fuel, something that I had nothing to do with. I didn't care. All I knew was when I needed fuel, I pulled up at the pump and I filled it up and I was paying, you know, I, I thought it was a lot of money then, but it's, it, there's a big difference from $3 and $7 a gallon when you're talking about a $20 tank. Why am I paying for that? 
that much more. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't think the economy has changed. Joe Biden, president, is telling us every day. In fact, a few days ago, he said this economy is hotter than HWEL. If it's so hot, why is diesel more than twice as much as it was back then? Of course, you know the answer. The answer is Joe Biden's policies have pretty much crippled the fossil fuel industry. And to make matters even worse, besides paying that additional money at the pump, he's telling you, hey, buddy, you decided to skip college. You're not that good of an American. And so because of that, you had to take a blue-collar job. Everybody's, well, everybody doesn't have to do that, but somebody's got to do that. And we thank you for doing that. OPS, we're going to make you pay for a piece of that friend of yours down the street whose parents are wealthy. But he decided to go out on his own, and he's living on his own. And he went to college. He tried to get a little job to pay for his apartment and his tuition but he wasn't able to do it. And so be a good American. Be a good American. We want you to pay. In fact, we're not even going to ask you to do it. We're going to make you do it through your income taxes. You're making more than he's making now, so it's only fair, right? Those examples are real examples. That's happening. This administration, this president, they just don't get it. We're going to take our first break. We've got some news about upcoming guests. We'll bring that to you in just a moment. And also, we're going to hear from the spokesman. I can't say spokesman anymore. I can say spokesperson or the spokeswoman. I can't say spokeswoman. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to say? Okay. That person that speaks for Joe Biden in the White House. You know, Joe Biden's a man, and I can say that. I don't think that'll offend him. But we're going to hear from Jean. It's not Jean. It's Corinne. Jean-Pierre. She's up next. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you 
check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. Our special guest on Monday, and uh, he's coming here and he's going to explain two specific things that I asked him to come on the show and explain to us. Number one is exactly what in his professional opinion, from somebody in D.C. that is looking at the election landscape. What are his predictions for you and me on the midterm elections? And the second thing, and during the day, today in the show, we're going to give you a couple of examples that have concerned me about the unbelievable power that is being exerted from the Department of Justice, specifically the FBI, when attacking American citizens. And I mean literally attacking American citizens. You would think that some of the actions that we are watching where they roll up in armored trucks, they're armed in the dozens of agents, and they're storming private citizens' homes, every one of them, guess who? Republicans. And they treat them like drug traffickers or group murderers or evil insurrectionists. Why that's happening. Who's coming Monday morning? Congressman Mike Johnson. He'll be here at 10 o'clock, right at the top of our second hour on the show. So make a note on your calendar. You don't want to miss it. On Tuesday, Steve Baker, live from the courtroom in Washington, D.C., in the Oath Keepers trial He'll check in at 10 o'clock sharp. He actually steps out of the courtroom to make the call to give us the latest. And there are so many critical things coming out of this trial regarding, once again, how your Department of Justice views and is treating, based upon their skewed, hardcore leftist views, what you, if you happen to be a conservative, not even a registered Republican, but somebody that is conservative, you're still considered by the DOJ and the FBI to be semi-fascist and one of those MAGA extremists, how they're treating people, your fellow Americans. And then on Wednesday, part two, Dustin Teo is going to call us. He is the co-founder of Philcoin a brand new digital currency, and he's coming on the show. He was here with us last week. Now, let me tell you who he is. He's one of the, not the founders, but one of the early risers that got on board with Bitcoin. And he won't admit this, but today he is the largest holder of Bitcoin on the planet. 
He's a very educated and digital currency guy. He's also a great Christian man and has become a good friend of mine. He is from Singapore. He grew up there. And when he became really, really wealthy and he was really, really conservative, obviously, you know what happened. The Singaporean government didn't like it. They stepped in and they seized $200 million from his Singapore bank accounts. No notice. Just called him one day and said, hey, 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 check your online account. We grabbed $200 million from it. Too bad, big boy. So he told me this, I guess, six or seven months ago in a conversation. I said, probably what you're thinking. What the heck did he do then? Well, he and every member of his staff, and that numbered in I don't even know if it was in the hundreds, but at least in the dozens. All of them had very intellectually listened to their boss and had invested in cryptocurrency. Now, what does that mean? That means the government could not go after that. And so they got $200 million of Dunstan's account balance. But there were hundreds and hundreds of millions of other valued cryptocurrency. So he and his employees, they just loaded up and they all moved to Dubai. And guess how much they had when they got there? Exactly what they had when they left Singapore. Because of that, he understands the importance and the value of what's going on. And he's going to tell you not only a little bit about those things as they happen, but I ask him to come aboard and tell you all of the details of exactly what Philcoin is, what are its differences with other cryptocurrencies. And there are quite a few and ones that you need to learn about. Anyway, he's going to be here at 10 o'clock next Wednesday. So a bunch of special guests coming up. Our special guest for tomorrow, who is a big time, I won't tell you who it is, won't give you a name because this person will be coming back later, but could not come uh, tomorrow, had to cancel. So it's going to be me and you. And if you want to come on the show and co-host it tomorrow, hey, give me a call. I'm open to all kinds of things. I love having people aboard, love talking to you. And by the way, anytime you want to talk during the show, it can be off topic of what we're talking about. I, you won't offend me in any way. Give me a call, 1-866-37-TRUTH, 1-866-378-7884. So what I want to talk to you about now, again, we got so many stories. If you weren't at the top of the show a few minutes ago, you didn't hear me say this. There's so much going on out there. There's always a lot going on, but so much more than normal. It's almost spooky how much is going on out there. And we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time on a lot of different things here because there are so many really important things that I want to make sure you know about. So we're going to, we're just going to get into it and start running. What is happening in the White House regarding mine and your issues when we pull up at the gas pump? And if you're listening in from up north, our friends down here in the south won't understand this, but heating oil, it's your time of year. Now, please understand, most homes in the upper Midwest and in the upper 
northeast that are using heating oil, they'll use six or seven or maybe even a thousand gallons of heating oil a winter. And the prices of heating oil, no lie, they started already at about 30% higher than they were last year, and already they've ramped up. In many cases, they're twice as much. That's going to make a big difference, a huge difference. And, of course, our very intellectual Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, she's on top of anything and everything regarding information, answering questions that the White House press are asking her on a daily basis. And, of course, front and center are all the talks and discussions about our energy issues and where the president is on fossil fuel and oil. And Peter Ducey from Fox News, he's probably her thorn in the flesh. He had a whole lot to ask her yesterday. Okay. Thank you, Kareem. So you're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices. What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. So look, um, I, you kind of asked me this question yesterday, and here's here's where, uh, where we would say U.S. oil production uh, is up and on track to reach a record high next year. We've seen that from their uh, uh, from when we see their profit margins. They are uh, they it, you know it's record high, and so in fact the United States has produced more oil in President Biden's first year than under. Trump's administration's first year, but at the same time, oil companies are raking in record profits, uh, while more than 9,000 approved drilling permits remain untapped by the oil industry. There is no shortage of opportunity or incentive uh, for oil companies to ramp up production. This is something that they can actually do. It is available to them. They can do this. And also, they are getting the profits. And so because they're getting, I just showed 60 cents uh, on the chart, uh, more profit, right? that we're seeing, higher, more higher costs that we're seeing that what, than uh, what uh, retailers are paying at the pump, they can bring that down. They've done it before. You saw that at the chart in the beginning. They were able to bring uh, prices down. How dare these wicked, evil oil companies. They're the ones that doubled the price of gas at the pump for gasoline and for diesel. We didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, it's the way the market goes in these evil oil companies. They're just out there gouging Americans. That's the storyline that's coming from the White House, has been, and boy, the far left, especially in the media, they're just all over it. Let me do something that I wish Peter Ducey would do. I know Peter, is he's probably one of the, the best White House press people I've seen in a long, long time, if not ever. He's right up in there every day, and he gives them no quarter. He's going to ask the right questions, and he's going to expect the right answers. But you got to understand, those uh, reporters in the room, they can't keep going and digging and digging because they'll shut them down. And there are a lot of reporters that would like to be in the room. It's an honor to be in that room, and if you get too aggressive, you're going to lose your seat. So Peter couldn't do this or he didn't do it, but I'm going to do it. What happened in the oil industry oh, during the two years before White House became the home of Joe Biden? What happened to big oil? 
Well, what was the big world event that was going on? Coronavirus. Corinne Jean-Pierre, she hadn't looked up to see what happened with oil companies then. There was a downturn. Obviously, it was across the board in American business, every business, nobody was exempt. The downturn brought by the COVID-19 pandemic and this accelerating energy transition. Nobody can argue it's created a new reality for the world's oil and gas industry whose production is going to peak lower and earlier than expected. Now listen to this. The five integrated super majors in the oil industry, that would be ExxonMobil, British Petroleum, BP, Shell, Chevron, and Total. In 2020, folks, they recorded losses of $76 billion. $76 billion. So one would think, and I'm sure, and this will be asked Corrine Jean-Pierre sometime. Somebody's going to come up with it. There, there are some people in D.C. We can look and see at the IP addresses of computers that are listening to our streaming program every day. And there are always two or three that are listed in Washington, D.C. Somebody there is going to say, hey, TNN Live they reminded us that during the pandemic, oil companies lost almost $100 billion. We forgot about that. The major chunk of this loss, $69 billion, can be contributed to problems with assets. Those are things like drilling rigs and all that kind of stuff. That's the way you operate businesses. You have ups and downs, and you spend money, and you have to go over here, you have an unexpected expense, and we're not talking about somebody that has a couple of oil wells. We're talking about big companies that have hundreds, and so it all ramps up depending on what your exposure is out there, how much business you're doing, right? Well, there's one more thing. Joe Biden is up there screaming and hollering, as did Jean-Pierre, Why don't they drill more? Why don't they do more exploration? Why don't they produce more with what they have? Here's another reality. Do you have any idea what it costs to drill a well these days? Do you know where all the big best money opportunities in oil and gas exploration are across this nation? Wondrous, miraculous findings from the last 10 years? It's in natural gas. Lo and behold, we found out we have more natural gas under the ground in the United States than anywhere else on the planet. And oh, by the way, something that Joe Biden didn't want to talk about because it's it's it, 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 it's not about the Green New Deal. Natural gas is extremely climate-friendly. The biggest oil field, not oil fields, but gas fields in North America or in southern Canada in the central part, North and South Dakota, and then further south. How far south? How about northwest Louisiana and east Texas? It's called the Haynesville Shale. Shale, it's a rock formation. 
But this rock formation is really, really deep under the surface of the earth. How deep is it? In northwest Louisiana, northeast Texas, it's right around 15,000 feet. That's over four miles. And so to get this gas to come out of this shale formation, you don't just drill a hole, punch a hole straight down, and then bam, all of a sudden, you've got gas spewing out. This gas is embedded throughout the rock formation, this shale. And so to get it all to come to the shaft and just come right up, as oil automatically does, they have to shoot shots out into the formation from the main shaft. And that opens up these shale formations and all that gas comes in. And then they find it. They do the shooting out in the formations. They verify gas is coming to the, to the main shaft. And then they have to complete the well, which is a process of, you know, putting permanent pipe down in, replacing the drill pipe and all that kind of stuff. It's extremely expensive to do that process. Well, how, I mean, these people make millions of dollars. How expensive could it be? $15 million a hole. Wow. So we're talking about oil companies that they drill hundreds of wells through the years. They've got them all over. $15 million, that's nothing for them. Well, 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 why don't you right now think about what I just told you, $76 billion they lost. And oh, by the way, those losses, yeah, a portion of it, not a great portion, but a big portion of it in dollars and cents, not percentage-wise, it comes from these people that work at the top, you know, the ones that make the big salaries, the CEOs, the presidents, people on the board, and people that work there. But the majority of that loss, it went directly to the stockholders of these big corporations, these big oil companies. Who are those stockholders? Everyday Americans who have in their investment portfolios through their 401ks and simple IRAs, you know, those investment operations they have out there to protect them for their retirement. Those losses go directly against their accounts. Americans lost, lost that money. Joe won't talk about that. Well, they just need to go drill more. I mean, that's what Joe Biden wants him to do is drill more. Well, he keeps bragging and boasting every day of what he's going to do. He's going to shut down that business. So let me ask you this. If you knew, forget about all of the millions of dollars of infrastructure that you have to put in place. I'm not talking about well structure. I'm talking about all the equipment, the trucks, the drilling rigs that cost Almost as much as that hole I told you that cost $15 million to punch. When you're talking about a drilling rig that operates at 15,000 feet, you're talking about a multi-million dollar drilling rig. Forget about all that. Just think about this. Hey, 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 Joe Biden's going to let us go drill holes again. And then somebody's going to say, well, hey, Bubba, did you think about this? To drill, you got to go spend a bunch of money. And we're talking about millions of dollars 
to do what you were doing uh, the day before he became president. You had already spent that and you were just gladly pumping gas and pumping oil and everybody was happy. You and your work had made the American people energy independent for the first time in 40 years. Everything was going well. You were going to do this. You were going to move over here. You were going to open this field up. It was going to be even better. You were going to get the price of your product even lower. And then, bam, day one, he starts the war with the fossil fuel industry. He cancels the XL pipeline, which, by the way, you know those great oil and gas fields I told you about that are in southern central Canada? The XL pipeline was going to connect them for the very first time to our big ports of shipment, Houston and New Orleans. A pipeline right down the middle through the middle of the United States. It was going so well, was close to be completed. Nuh-uh, he shut it down. And so all of a sudden, he sent a message to the Canadians who are about to find a way to ship their oil and gas way cheaper than they had been doing for generations. You know why? They only had two ways to go, east to the coast or west to the coast. And that meant rail, and that meant real expensive. And so what are they doing? They are passing on the cost of that to the people that were buying it, just like everybody has to do if you're in business coming up with a product that you want to get out to consumers. They were going to have a chance to lower the prices to everybody because they were going to have a cheaper way to get it to market. Joe Biden unilaterally, single-handedly fixed that. If you were sitting on top of a multi-billion dollar investment in infrastructure, and yeah, you've got a bunch of drilling rigs, you had them in operation and they're not doing anything now, but why, oh why, would you go build and buy some new ones to put out there, even if Joe Biden told you tomorrow, you go drill. We want you to get back after it. When he says, over and over and over again, by 2030, he wants your entire industry and plans on making it obsolete, shutting it down. I can tell you what happened. In every corporate boardroom, the first time he said that, every boardroom in New York, every boardroom in Houston, Denver, Los Angeles, those board members stood up looking at that television monitor in those boardrooms and they looked at President Biden and they shook their heads and walked out in disappointment. And then they get a call. Hey, come back to the boardroom. Now, President Biden is talking about we getting back out there and getting after drilling oil again and getting gas, getting it flowing again. Let's listen to what he has to say. So they listen to one of his many speeches where he's quieting down a little bit and he's talking about they need we need we need the we need the oil companies to start ramping up the production of oil and they think yeah maybe there's hope maybe there's hope and then somewhere in the speech he does another one of those little left-handed assaults 
and he starts talking about the Green New Deal, and he just somewhere in it, he slips and he says, we're going to do away with fossil fuel. And in unison across America in these boardrooms, they all stand up and they flip him off. It is not going to happen, folks. Sadly, I don't think it's going to happen while Joe Biden is president, if it ever happens. We cannot operate this nation without fossil fuel. There's nothing to replace it. They can preach green new energy. They can do anything and say anything about that. It's not in production and not marketable if it was. It cannot be done. And Joe has killed his deal with the oil companies. In a world gone mad, telling the truth is a bold move. Your anchor in this sea of chaos is TNN, the Truth News Network. We may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. circle back to the White House press briefing room. <laughs> no, Jen Psaki's not back in the White House. Uh, where'd she go? Did she go to MSNBC? That's where she is. And she kind of just kind of uh, slipped away into oblivion. I've not heard a single thing from her. And I wouldn't because I don't watch MSNBC. The only, only one I watch on that show, if I ever do, is uh, what's her name at night? She calls herself the most important and intelligent person in news media. What's her name? I can't think of it. That tells you what I think about NBC. I don't pay any attention to it, but Corrine Jean-Pierre, she's the boss in the White House press briefing room, and her thorn in the flesh, of course, is Peter Ducey. You may have heard that the one of the two candidates running for the governor's race looking to be the governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. 
She just seems to be doubling down and tripling down on stupid in her campaigns, coming up with these stupid, really, I don't even understand policies. But she came out with a good one. Came out with a good one. And uh, it's another thing about abortion and what her opinion is. And so Peter Ducey, he asked Jean Perrine. Thank you, Perrine. So you're asking oil companies to further lower gas prices. What makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. So look, um, I, you kind of asked me this question yesterday, and here's here's where uh, where we would say U.S. oil production. Hey, you heard this earlier, at least as part of this back and forth, but there's more. Keep listening. Uh, is up and on track to reach a record high next year. We've seen that from their, uh, uh, from when we see their profit margins. They are, uh, they, you know, it's record high. And so, in fact, the United States has produced more oil in President Biden's first year than under Trump's administration's first year, but at the same time, oil companies are raking in record profits, uh, while more than 9,000 approved drilling permits remain untapped by the oil industry. There is no shortage of opportunity or incentive uh, for oil companies to ramp up production. This is something that they can actually do. It is available to them. They can do this. And also, they are getting the profits. And so because they're getting, I just showed 60 cents uh, on the chart, uh, more profit, right? that we're seeing higher, more higher costs that we're seeing that what than uh, what uh, retailers are paying at the pump. They can bring that down. They've done it before. You saw that at the chart in the beginning. They were able to bring uh, prices down. And one more that folds in the president's top domestic priorities in Georgia. The president's endorsed candidate for governor, Stacey Abrams, is suggesting that one may one way to mitigate the effects of inflation is to get an abortion. Does President Biden agree? I did not see her comments on this, so I don't know the context of this. Again, I want to be careful because this is a political debate, uh, and it, it's related to a midterm, an election. Uh, so I, this is, I'm not going to comment on that. So what she could have done is uh, explained what Stacey Abram means. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch what the question was, what Peter Ducey asked? about what Stacey Abrams was saying. Let's see if you can catch his question again. Candidate for governor Stacey Abrams is suggesting that one may, one way to mitigate the effects of inflation is to get an abortion. Does President Biden agree? So you can, you can manipulate the effects of inflation, according to Stacey Abrams, by getting an abortion. Hmm. I guess maybe you wouldn't need any baby food, which you can't get anyway, right? That woman, and I don't want to demean her in any way. I don't know her. I hear her, and I listen to her a lot, simply because she is running against um, the incumbent governor in Georgia, who is a Republican. Stacey Abrams is a Democrat. But I just can't figure that out. How would a woman, and there I go again, I'm jumping out there, I'm using uh, a gendered word that I don't know that I should be saying, calling somebody that's pondering an abortion a woman. But how 
would that impact inflation in any way? I don't get it. I think it's a sign of desperation. But I thought it was such a ridiculous thing that Stacey Abrams said. I, too, like Peter Ducey. I'd like to know what President Biden thinks about that because he is a hardcore, in-the-tank abortionist himself. And I wonder how far he goes in his contemplation about what an abortion will do to the people that it directly impacts. Maybe that's a story for another day. What else is happening while we're here? In COVID world, another big faux pas in development, the Advisory Committee of Immunization Practices. That's the ACIP. Yesterday, they voted unanimously to recommend that the CDC add vaccinations against COVID-19 to a program that provides free inoculation to children. The unanimous vote would allow the Vaccines for Children program to distribute COVID vaccines to kids in line with the CDC guidelines, of course. The ACIP decision was not a vote to add the shots to the CDC's annual vaccination schedule. The CDC schedule outlines the ages at which aged children ought to receive specific vaccines. The CDC currently recommends that children older than six months be vaccinated and that children over five years receive booster shots. Now, let me just say this. One more thing. FDA recently authorized the use of a Moderna booster shot to combat the Omicron variant for use in kids as young as five years old. I have a serious problem with the vaccines overall, and especially now that every few days another horrible uh, adverse effect is being revealed that is impacting, not in unison, but in many cases a bunch, a big segment of those that have received vaccines. Put that to the side. We start talking about kids. Let me just say this. I've got six grandkids. Now, they're all, uh, I guess the youngest is, he's in the eighth grade. So what would that make him? 11, 12? I can't imagine a parent's perspective the fear that would be driving them to make the decision to have a five-year-old, a two-year-old receive an experimental vaccine. Yes, I don't care what anybody says. These vaccines to this day are not approved for general use by doctors everywhere. I know most people don't think this because they don't want most people, they being the CDC, the FDA, and the White House, don't want Americans to understand it. They haven't been approved, not a single one of them. Every one of them are in EUA status, emergency use authorization only, which is an antithesis to what vaccines really are used for, not for emergency use, but in general use, as you and I went through when we were kids, we automatically got the flu vaccine. We got the vaccine for mumps and measles. Those were all commonplace things that have been proven. Their efficacy had been approved over and over again in testing and in millions of Americans' kids' lives to be effective. Polio is a prime example. 
Uh, I was born in 1953. My older brother, my only brother, was born, I think, in 1949. He's three years and nine months older than me. So, that, yeah, yeah, it would be, yeah. I, I, I was born in July. His birthday is coming up in just next week, actually. So, from July to October, it would have been 1949. He was diagnosed with polio. I can remember it when I was like, three years, three or four years old. That was, I, I remember very few things then. But I remember we lived in Houston at the time. I was born in Pasadena, which is a uh, suburb of Houston. But we lived there, and I remember sitting out in the car with an aunt. I couldn't go in the hospital. And my mom taking him up into Texas Children's Hospital in Houston to get some shots that I understand were pretty egregious shots. But he was diagnosed with polio. So I remember when they got the polio vaccine, I was a kid, but I remember going to school and we went in, I think it was a multi-dose thing. So we would go in like one time every six weeks and we would just eat a sugar cube. And the vaccination for polio was in liquid form. It was put on those sugar cubes and polio virtually went away. We never had it again. Mumps. You don't see the mumps very often. You don't see the measles very often because real vaccinations have been effective in our life. What we're dealing with now, I hate to tell you, I don't want to scare you, but they're not vaccinations. They're really not. They are experimental medications that were whipped up quickly in a laboratory. There were some... uh, kind of human trials, but not the exhaustive kind that Dr. Anthony Fauci told us for six months. Oh, we can't have a vaccine for coronavirus. It's going to take a minimum of 18 months. It's usually three or four years. And he was right when he said that. But lo and behold, they rushed to get these vaccines out that aren't vaccines. And what do you expect? They're experimental drugs. That's all they are. And now once again, Another organization is recommending that we jab these kids, younger kids even, we jab them with these experimental drugs and we don't have a clue what's going to happen on the other side. I, as a parent, if I was anything else, I would be a deterrent from my kids getting these medications jabbed in their arms. Why? Because we don't know. And how could any parent agree, especially they're talking about doing it at schools? How could any parent agree to let their kids take an experimental vaccine, even if you want to call it a vaccine, without knowing what the ingredients really are and what they're going to do? What are the side effects? What are the probable outcomes if you jab my kid with that? And kids across the nation that are getting vaccinated, there are thousands of cases of adverse reactions. When we go to our next break, I'll go to the VAERS report and bring you the latest demographics on horrible adverse reactions to many kids, thousands and thousands of kids. And moms and dads, they trusted their government and they trusted their doctors who told them kids are going to be okay and they need this. They really need this. Let's move on. Let's get into politics today. 
One popped up late last night that just blew my mind. I couldn't wait to talk to you about it. Back in 2019, there's some history in one of these races, important races. Back in 2019, he was vying for his party's presidential nomination in the Democrat primary. Tim Ryan, Democrat from Ohio, he's running against Republican J.D. Vance for Ohio's open United States Senate seat now. Tim Ryan is currently a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Back in 2019, trying to get the nomination to run for president, Ryan told the left-wing American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, that if he became president, listen to what he promised he was going to do. He would free half of all the inmates sitting in U.S. prisons and jails if he were president. Now think that through. He wanted to be the president of the United States. Make no mistake about it. Tim Ryan still wants to be president of the United States. He looks as at his uh, current job as a member of the House of Representatives and the one he wants to be in, the United States Senate. Those are nothing but precursors to him moving into 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as president. He said if he became president, he would see to it. He would pardon half of the inmates in U.S. prisons. You've made an ACLU commitment to reduce mass incarceration by 50% during your presidency. ACLU of New Hampshire political director Jeannie Hruska reminded Ryan during a Q&A event when asked how he would free about a million of the roughly 2 million inmates in jail in the U.S., Ryan suggested starting with drug laws by cutting penalties and sentences. And during that same event, he said he supports eliminating cash bail for suspects accused of crimes. That's a policy position that would mimic New York's law that regularly frees from jail suspects accused of violent crimes and Illinois' upcoming law that abolishes cash bail altogether set to free thousands of inmates accused of murder, burglary, and other crimes. This is what he said. This is a quote. The bail system is inherently unfair, so I would be for eliminating it. It works so well across the nation. There are countless numbers of stories that are telling us people that are arrested in these uh criminality uh, venues where these aggressive far-left prosecutors, district attorneys, they are just letting all lawbreakers go. No bail. We give you a free pass. Lots and lots of stories of those people going out and committing additional crimes, the same ones in many times, in many ways that they already committed, but sadly even more crimes in many cases that are far worse than the others. And by the way, that includes murder. Bail is supposed to keep people that are really bad criminals and that don't need to be released to do and become a repeat offender before their trial because they're a menace. They may do it again, and sure enough, they do. Well, speaking about craziness and political candidates, 
And regarding another Senate candidate, Val Demings from Florida. She is currently running against Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio in Florida. And she is griping about the integrity of voter requirements in many states already that voters are required to have voter ID. Demings, during Tuesday's debate against Rubio, accused him of supporting some measures to suppress the right to vote, although she failed to talk about and give any specific examples of him doing that. I'm not the person standing on the stage, she said, who supports suppressing the right to vote. And she said that before comparing election integrity measures to the days of Jim Crow and calling for a federal law to supposedly keep everybody accountable. Now, obviously, the only voter suppression thing that's being debated around the nation right now is voter ID. And we, I won't get into it, but we've played interview after interview Reporters going to African-American communities in, in uh, Los Angeles and in New York asking black people, is voter ID and the need to have voter ID to vote, is that, is that voter suppression? And I never saw one person say, yes, it is. One black person said it. In fact, they all get angry Because the people that are saying it, they are basically calling African-American people too stupid to go get voter ID. In fact, they all say, how do you live? We couldn't live in our communities if we didn't have voter ID. We couldn't rent a car. We couldn't open a bank account. All kinds of examples where they already have to have voter ID. So how would it be racist? How would it be voter suppression if they have to do it to vote? Rubio highlighted the sheer absurdity of Deming's grandiose claims, and she he reminded the audience that it's never been easier to vote in the U.S. In Florida, you can now vote by mail for any reason. You can vote, for example, 10 days before an election. You can vote on Election Day. In Georgia, where they claimed to be the place that was suppressing all of the votes, you had record African-American voter turnout, he explained noting that Val Demings wants a federal takeover of elections. Democrats have routinely categorized any basic election integrity measure. It doesn't matter what it is, like requiring a voter to show some form of ID as a form of suppression. This is despite the fact that the vast majority of Americans support voter ID. 75% of black Americans, they want voter ID. That federal takeover elections I mentioned, which Val Deming supports, it would bully states. It would take away their rights, states' rights, to establish basic measures in voting and election rules, which is absurd. What would that look like? You can't ask for an ID. You have to ask for an ID to get into Val Deming's neighborhood where she lives in a gated community You can't go to her house with having a valid ID. Is that racist? You have every right to think that, but you can't ask for it when they vote. 
allowing people to drive around with a trunk full of absentee ballots, allowing people to basically register an hour before the same day of the election, show up and vote, and inject chaos, he said, adding that there are laws that have to be followed in Florida. Kevin McCarthy, who is, if and when, Republicans take over the House, he is the odds-on favorite to become the majority leader, Kevin McCarthy came out yesterday and he jumped on something that a lot of people on the left in the very beginning of the run-up to this election, they were talking about it. It's the A word, but they haven't been able to use it because Americans hate the idea of it. It's amnesty for illegals. Giving illegals, just saying all of a sudden, waving a wand over all illegals, some politician does, it says... Wow, bam, right now, you are a legal American citizen. McCarthy said the Republican-led Congress is not going to approve any so-called comprehensive amnesty deal before the border chaos is fixed. The establishment's preferred amnesty for border security swap is defunct because I believe Joe Biden has destroyed our border so badly, McCarthy said yesterday. You can't tie the two, amnesty and border security. You got to just go fix the border. Just start out before you can deal with immigration. I just think it's too far broken. I don't think anyone's going to believe if you tie the two together. Since January of 2021, Biden's pro-migration deputies have pulled in an additional 2.5 million illegals for jobs and housing that are all needed by Americans, while also insisting that the border is secure. His deputies also, they also insist they are following the laws. They expand many loopholes to legalize the many wage-cutting, rent-spiking economic migrants flooding into American society. McCarthy's American First policy is internally popular, Punchbowl News said. Uh, Novel idea, Punchbowl. I like Kevin McCarthy, but the America First policy is not his. It's Donald Trump's. Besides that, despite the site also claim that McCarthy's policy is hawkish, Despite the many polls which show the public strongly opposes the establishment's favored policy of extracting millions of foreign consumers, renters, and workers from poor countries to take the jobs and the housing that are needed by Americans. Some of those Americans are poor. But that doesn't mean they're unworthy. That it's okay to take their housing and their jobs and give them to illegal immigrants. The establishment news site fretted about the GOP's recognition of where the voters are. McCarthy is taking a very hard line on immigration. The California Republican, and this is coming from that that news site. The California Republican is opposed to trading a pathway to citizenship or DACA for increased border security. This is the traditional trade that both parties have envisioned for years. Listen, I don't give a rip what the parties look for and hope for. I don't care if every Republican wants us to just give these illegals coming in citizenship. It ain't happening. It's illegal. 
And you think that Biden's latest gaffe that is now at the Supreme Court today, cancellation of college student debt, do you think that's going to happen very quickly, so quickly? You have a Joe Biden or someone in the future as a president say, I'm going to make every illegal that's in the nation, I'm going to make them citizens. And even if they come up with a process for doing it, you think this student loan thing ended up at the Supreme Court with an emergency request quickly? They'll be standing in line to do that with this new thing, make illegals automatically legal. It's unconstitutional. Now, there's a way to do it, do it legally, and that's to convince the U.S. Congress to do that. But it ain't going to happen, and they know it's not going to happen. And I can't tell you the uproar that will happen if and when the U.S. Congress decides to give that a go. Talk about furor. Talk about angry citizens. Just think about what's going to happen if they say, hey, You know, all those people that have been working for you for all these years in blue-collar jobs, you talk about California companies out there, maybe small farms, and they have have, um, blue-collar workers, maybe legal immigrants that have come over from Mexico and Central America, and they're working, they brought their families, they're paying taxes, they're doing a good job for their families. People make good money in California, just saying And all of a sudden, you know, for every thousand of those, there's going to be a thousand illegals that are going to come in and they're going to suddenly be legal and they're going to take those jobs. You know why? Because they'll work for a dollar less an hour. Remember, it's all about the money. I don't care who you are. If you're legally here in the United States of America, you believe And if you don't, you're a fool. You believe in America first. And if you're a legal citizen, you should come before any illegal. This president and the Democrat Party, they don't believe in that. Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me the money! To win it all. The big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your cart, get set, yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. 
Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds, roller derby? Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. Who who can credibly say (laughs) that election season in the United States isn't a circus? Or maybe it would be better termed as a zoo. <laughs> what do you think about that? I don't even don't even need to ask the question. I know you agree. Ninety-three percent of you, well, ninety-three percent of registered voters, are concerned about our soaring inflation and the poor economy, with the midterms just twenty days away. Ninety-three percent say that they're very concerned. 71% or somewhat concerned 22%. That's 93% together. Concerned about inflation brought on by the Democrats' massive spending and the war on energy. Notice mentioned in that is not the Ukrainian war, which Joe Biden and his group like to blame the oil and gas prices on that. The same amount of respondents also report being very concerned, 68%, or somewhat concerned, 25%, about the souring economy that economists predict has a 100% chance of being in a recession by next year. 68% of those that responded believe the nation is already in recession. Think about that. 68%. Oh, we're already there. Inflation and the economy are the top two issues for voters. 81% say Joe Biden's economy will be a major factor in how they vote. 80% say the same about inflation. Top second-tier issues, crime, 64%, abortion, 57%, and illegal migration, 55%. Inflation is likely to hurt Democrats in the midterm, no question about it. 64% say Biden's energy Policies, economic policies were either very or somewhat responsible for inflation. Just 27% say he's not too responsible or not responsible at all for soaring costs. And all those people, they're living in a van down by the river. (laughs) A plurality of orders, 46% trust Republicans to handle this inflation. 37% say the same of Democrats. That's a nine-point gap. Why would anybody think that Democrats can handle it? They're the ones that caused it, and they can't fix it. Or if they could, they'd be doing it, right? Americans, we've all been impacted by our sluggish economy. Soaring costs mean that after you adjust for inflation, Wages for American families, you know those things Biden says, oh, every everybody's making more money now. Wages are going up. Thank God it's because of our wonderful policies. What he won't tell you is that the amount of wages that have been increased don't even matter if you factor in inflation. They're still behind the eight ball 
bringing less money, less value of their money home because of his policies. How far down is it? $6,000 per household down. And that's factoring in the wages increases. Oh, that's only these simple-minded Americans that believe that. Well, those simple-minded Americans pull election levers. And those are the ones that decide who is credible when they start talking about all these issues. Have you heard about what's happening out in southern Arizona? I've got a lot of respect for the governor, Doug Ducey, out there. I know he's a Republican, but first, he's an Arizonan. And he cares greatly for his people, for his businesses, and for the safety of people, especially those along the southern border. And I probably don't need to tell you a bunch of illegals storming across his southern border or bringing a lot of damages to his state, a lot of criminality to his state. And so he's been weighing his options, and he decided there are some gaps in the southern wall across the border. And so Joe Biden won't fill them. So he decided, and he took the bull by the horns, and he, he filled those gaps by getting these shipping crates, you know, the big ones, the big metal ones, and they stack on top of each other. And so what he did all along the holes in the southern water, uh, southern border, southern wall at, I said southern water, the, the wall at the southern border, he stacked the shipping crates on top of each other. And he made a row of two of them across that filled up the gaps and the height of those stacked equal the height of the wall that's already there. And on top of these crates, he put razor wire. And so it was helping stem the flow across the southern border in Arizona. Makes common sense. I mean, that's what leaders do is they lead. And if you're elected governor and you take a vote in office, what is in the Arizona governor's oath of office? Almost the same as Joe Biden's oath of office chiefly is to protect the people of Arizona. Just like Joe, he swore an oath of office to protect you and me, our neighbors, our fellow citizens in the United States. And how do you do that? You enforce the rule of law and the laws of every state and every nation. If you're Joe, if you're Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona, it's you enforce the laws of Arizona. So that's what the governor's doing. Of course, Joe Biden is not doing that. He's opened up the southern border, and he's actually having his people over immigration and protecting the southern border. He's having those people forget about the immigration laws that prevent people from coming here illegally. And if they do, there are laws that when they are criminals and do perform criminal acts, they're held accountable and they're arrested and they go before a judge or they go before a jury in a trial and they're adjudicated based on the law, not based on the opinion of any political person. So that's what Ducey's doing, trying to protect his people. But now he's got another decision to make. He is today weighing options, his options, before he responds to an order that came from the Biden administration Monday. 
And that order from D.C. is for him to remove those shipping containers. Now think about it. He put them there to fill the gaps in the border wall that Biden wouldn't, and so illegals were just walking through. U.S. law says they can't walk through, and U.S. law also says enforcing the border is the unilateral responsibility and the right of the federal government. Well, he's not doing that. President Biden's not doing that. So these illegals that are coming into southern Arizona, they're hurting the people of Arizona, especially these ranchers along there. They're destroying infrastructure. They're stealing things. They're breaking into homes. Governor Ducey's got to stop it. The U.S. Department of the Interior wrote a letter to Governor Ducey In the letter, they demand the removal of the double-stack shipping containers that are placed down there on the border, some of those shipping containers on federal land, and that's in the area of Yuma. The letter also demanded no new containers be placed. A spokesman for the governor's office said that the state is considering its response to the letter. As for the letter... We question their legal analysis, and we're looking at our options. That's what Arizona Governor's Communications Director C.J. Margin told the D.C. News outlet. It took the Fed since August to write a letter. If this is any indication of their sense of urgency, then perhaps that explains the problem we're having down here. Back in mid-August, state contractors began placing more than 3,000 double-stacked shipping containers to fill the gaps in the border left by Biden's Inauguration Day order to stop the building of the barriers. Inaction by Joe Biden has led to the worst border crisis in over 20 years, Ducey said in signing a letter back in June. He informed the government what he was doing. We've taken numerous steps to help resolve the chaos including deploying our National Guard, signing legislation to address human smuggling, and transporting migrants on a voluntary basis to Washington, D.C. The Biden administration eventually responded in their letter saying this, the unauthorized placement of those containers constitutes a violation of federal law and is a trespass against the United States. Oh, by the way, that ground that they're talking about down there that is Ducey's um, storage containers are trespassing on, that land doesn't belong to Joe Biden. It doesn't belong to his administration. It doesn't belong to Congress. It belongs to the American people, of which all those homeowners down there, ranchers down there at the southern border, and every person living, every citizen of Arizona, They co-own that land, and so what they're trying to do is keep their land safe because their president is not keeping their land safe. Nearly 310,000 migrants, 310,000, crossed the border from Mexico into the Yuma sector of Arizona in fiscal year 2022. 310,000. Another nearly 252,000 came through at the Tucson sector. In November, Breitbart, Texas, Randy Clark reported large groups of migrants 
entering the Yuma sector through gaps in border walls. The statistics show Yuma's apprehension increase in October of 2021 is 2,647% increase from October of 2020, he wrote. According to Customs and Border Patrol, Yuma is closely trailing the Del Rio sector in Texas by a mere 6,488 apprehensions for one month. What is this nation? What is D.C. coming to? This is just the definition of insanity being played out. And those Arizonans are paying the price. Washington, D.C. is not. They're getting whatever they want. (laughs) whatever it is that they want. Got a little gold nugget of information for you. President Biden has made waves this fall with his plan that he's going to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars of student loans, shifting the tax. You know, you can't can't cancel debt if you're a president. You just pass it along to somebody else, in this case, American taxpayers. Five years earlier, Joe Biden cashed in, his family cashed in on a zero interest forgivable loan. Have you ever heard of that? Borrow uh, $500. You borrow it from somebody and they tell you, well, if you can't pay it back, we'll forgive it. So how many people on the planet would pay it back? Well, Joe and his family, they cashed in on one of these zero interest forgivable loans from an energy company in communist China. Now think about that. A zero interest forgivable loan to the family, to the family of the sitting president of the United States. And they took this loan from communist China. And by the way, what I'm telling you right now, this information is in the possession and has been of the FBI. The loan arrangement confirmed in documents obtained from the office of Senator Charles Grassley, a Republican in Iowa, it shows that the Chinese energy firm CEFC Beijing International Energy Company Limited understood the transaction would benefit Joe Biden's family referred to in correspondence as the B.D. family. But it also was creating heartburn with its own compliance risk managers officers, this big company. The Chinese company's leaders fully support the framework of establishing the JV, that means joint venture, based on their trust on the B.D. family. That was stated in a July 26, 2017 email from one of the officials of CEFC to Tony Bobolinsky, a Hunter Biden business partner at the time. This, this email was written in part to explain why there had been a delay in getting the money to a firm called Sinohawk associated with the future president's son and brother Hunter Biden and James Biden, respectively. This delay of wire sending the money, is caused by the details on the JV building as follows. One, the positioning and strategy of the joint venture are not made fully clear to CEFC. And two, 
$5 million is lent to the BD family in the $10 million charter capital. How will this $5 million be used or the $10 million as a whole? This $5 million loan to the BD family is interest-free, the email stated. And it continued. But if the $5 million is used up, should CEFC keep lending more to the family? The email inquired. If CEFC lends more, they need to know the interest rate for the subsequent loans. This official from the Chinese company went on to explain this nebulous transaction. I can't think of a better word to explain it. It makes no stinking sense. I've been a a business manager, owner-operator, and I've dealt with millions of dollars through the years. I have never seen something like this happen. It doesn't happen in business. No corporation gives a interest-free, forgivable loan to anybody if it's legitimate. The CEF official went on to explain this transaction was raising worries with the company's compliance officers. Quote, because of the reasons above, the risk management department of CEFC is showing concerns on the operations of Sinohawk, hence the delay of the wire transfer. Now, this was sent by a guy named Raymond Zhao, who is this compliance office there. At the time of this, this whole transaction, Joe Biden had already left the White House as vice president. He was a private citizen and was planning for his eventual 2020 presidential run. Bobolinsky said in media interviews that Uncle Joe was a silent partner in the Chinese transaction, identified in internal documents as the big guy who might get 10% of that deal. I'll do the math for you. It's half a million bucks. That's the $10 million deal. Overall, this loan, $5 million, that's half a million. Grassley, Senator Grassley, Monday of this week, he released a letter he sent to the FBI that contained a summary of an October 2020 interview that Bobolinsky gave to the FBI concerning this loan transaction. Now, Tony Bobolinsky is a real businessman. He's a very wealthy businessman. He's got all kinds of experience successfully in other businesses. He had no inkling whatsoever this was going on, and they kept, the Bidens kept all of the details of these very significant transactions at the time. They hid them from him. According to Grassley, the $5 million Chinese transaction was paid to a Hunter Biden-connected firm in August of 2017, a month after this email we just gave you. Bobolinsky told the FBI that some of the money paid in 2017 was actually deferred compensation for work that Hunter and James Biden had already done while Joe Biden was still vice president. Grassley and Senator Ron Johnson previously said some $6 million paid in the spring of 2017 was appeared to be for pre-2017 work. In that interview, Bobolinsky stated the arrangement Hunter Biden and James Biden created with foreign nationals connected to the Communist Party in China included assisting them with potential business deals and investments while Joe Biden was still vice president. 
but the work remained intentionally uncompensated while Joe was still vice president, Grassley wrote, culling information from the summary of Bobolinsky's FBI interview. After Joe left the vice presidency, the summary makes clear that Hunter and James worked with CEFC and affiliated individuals to compensate them for that past work and the quote-unquote benefits they procured for CEFC. Grassley said this was a scheme to compensate the Bidens and was supposed to consist of an unsecured $5 million loan intended to be forgivable. The senator said his office had information that a few months before the $5 million was paid, Hunter yelled at, and I said yelled, it's yelled. I'm a Southerner, so I said yelled. Biden yelled at CEFC officials at a meeting for failing to fund that joint venture and that James Biden, Joe's younger brother, considered calling CEF officials and threatening to withdraw Biden family support from any future deals. Grassley's letter said that when the money was finally paid, it did not go to the Sinahawk firm involving Bobolinsky, as was originally supposed to happen. Rather, it was quietly sent to a Biden family-connected firm called Hudson West Three, before being transferred to entities tied to Hunter and James. Lawyers for Hunter and James have denied their clients have done anything wrong, but have declined to answer specific questions. Biden has also defended his family, quote, I am proud of my son. And he said that in a CNN interview last week. Grassley said the evidence his team has assembled from whistleblowers and other sources suggests the FBI possesses significant, impactful, voluminous evidence of potential criminality in Biden family business arrangements. Now, there's more to this story. I'm going to stop there and just ask you a question. I'm going to finish right here. What would be happening right now today if this exact same thing, identical, whole operation, whole scheme, had been going on sometime between, let's say, 2016 and 2020? Donald Trump was president. Hmm. And what if um, Donald Trump Jr. was out there calling on China, cutting deals, the same deal with China? And of course, Donald wouldn't be, he wouldn't be named in any of the agreements, but in emails and conversations, let's just say they would refer to him as DT, like they did. JB in this one. What would be happening in the world around us right now? <laughs> what would be going on? Do you think anybody would not be covering it in mainstream media as is not happening now? Mainstream media won't even talk about it. They won't. I don't understand why. It makes no sense. This is a big deal. This compromises national security for the United States of America. It compromises our foreign relationships with other countries when they know that this president has an obligation to communist China of all things, even if it was just for his son. 
I'm proud of my son, he said. And I guess I could put a caveat on the end of that. He's proud of his son because his son ain't got caught yet. Because truth matters. You're listening to TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now. Or later, because these Staples Everyday Price Cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These Everyday Price Cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing Everyday Price Cuts. Thank you. Are you sure we should be out here? It's just pretty cloudy. Come on, that'll pass. Really? I don't know. Yeah, That's just, just swing. I'm holding swing. a swing. <sighs> Bob? Whoa. Looks like someone could have used Yahoo OneSearch on his mobile phone. Try Yahoo OneSearch and get news, sports, even weather. Get better results. Text weather and your zip code to 92466. Be a better golfer. Yahoo! Standard carrier text messaging rates apply. I just like that sound. I mean, that's just a great sound. In the old days, I'd have probably tried to get up and shake a leg. It would have only been a leg. I am, I don't dance folks. And there's a reason why I don't dance. I can't dance. Never learned how I was a pastor's son in, in the South and uh, preacher's kids just, we didn't dance. I was just one of those things. Matter of fact, we couldn't even go to movies at my house. I saw my very first movie when after my family exploded, I was 15. The next year I moved to North Louisiana and I lived with uh, a family. As a matter of fact, a pastor and his wife and his son, who became my older brother and mom and dad. And I snuck out in North Louisiana and saw my first movie. It was the ballad of, uh, 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 what was it? It was, oh my gosh, Easy Rider, the ballad of Easy Rider. It's the first movie I ever saw. I said all that to say that. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything more. But one thing I learned down south, I learned how to operate a handgun, I learned how to operate a long rifle and a shotgun, and I became very respectful of what they were due. I saw it, never took it for granted. My dad taught us gun safety. We, we knew all the rules. And as I grew older, and especially as, as private security for myself and my family became of principal importance, I began to carry a gun. And in Louisiana, we didn't have carry gun, concealed carry requirements until we finally did. And then they came up with a system that anybody that would go through the training to carry guns and operate guns and had a clean background, they could get a permit that made them legal to carry a handgun, a concealed permit. 
Open carry in Louisiana is still legal, by the way. I can't imagine what I would do if I was walking down the street in Shreveport, Louisiana, and some guy was walking towards me holding a 12-gauge shotgun or an AR-15. I'd probably very quickly walk the other way, even though I would have a gun in my pocket. But nevertheless, that's another story. Florida is a very pro-Second Amendment state. And in Orlando, which is a great city, I love Orlando, there are very, very good shopping malls there. And this story that I'm telling you what I'm about to tell you about is a mall, and it is a great mall there. I've been to it many times. But a couple of days ago, there was a smash and grab in a jewelry store there, one of those where people, illegal criminals, they walk in, and they have masks on, and they have guns, and they just start breaking in the glass display cases and stealing, just grabbing hundreds of thousands of dollars of jewelry. That began to happen. But they met something that they didn't expect. I mean, at some point, the people are going to get fed up. And when the people get fed up, this happens. Two of the suspects who police say tried to rob a local jewelry shop are shot by the store's owner. Police say one of them died at the scene, the other died at the hospital. Orlando police say four suspects, at least one armed, were robbing a jewelry booth when the store owner shot at the suspects. What happened was some guys jumped over the counter, they tried to do a snatch and grab, and they, they got shot. The, the owner of the jewelry shop is a licensed carrier, and, and he, he shot Police say one of the suspects was found dead inside the mall. The remaining three ran to their car and took off. Investigators say they were found near Arlington Street and Ventura Avenue. One was found with a gunshot wound and was taken to the hospital where they died. These smash and grab type robberies have been increasing over the last couple of years, but mostly on the West Coast in places like California, where they don't actually enforce laws. But anyway, when I heard this happen in Orlando, though, I thought, why the hell would you try to smash and grab not only in Orlando, but in the entire state of Florida? Everyone has guns out there. Even the alligators have guns. It's just a stupid thing to do. And well, we clearly see what happened when they did it. Speaking of they, keep in mind, there were four robbers and two of the robbers got packed up by one guy with a gun. That goes to show you the equalizing effect a firearm has, and you could argue that it actually gave the store owner the advantage in that these robbers probably didn't expect the store owner to have a gun in the first place, giving the store owner a little bit of element of surprise. It also demonstrates that limiting the number of rounds we can have in our gun is simply evil. There were four of them, and one of him, and there are people and politicians who would say that he should only have a certain number of bullets in his gun. That, to me, is utterly ridiculous. You're going to put an artificial limit on the number of bullets he can have in his gun simply because some suburban housewife hopped up on wine and Xanax with too much time on her hands and who's never touched a gun, much less fired a gun, thinks she should only have 10 rounds in a gun to protect herself, all while she's living in a gated community? Man, stop it. When you try to take power away from criminals by trying to take power away from everyone by using rules, 
you just end up further empowering the criminal. The armed citizen already has everything stacked up against them. They have to carry a gun on them all day long, praying they never actually have to use it, or if they do, that they actually see the danger coming soon enough in time so they can actually get to the gun in the first place. Then we have to engage in an entire legal analysis on whether or not we can shoot or not shoot in a matter of seconds. And if we do do one thing wrong, we get crucified by the legal system, not only legally, but also financially. Now ask yourself, what does the criminal have to do? Nothing but find a target and bring a gun? It's unbelievably unfair and in the criminal's favor and the anti-gun lobby has the audacity to make it even harder on the armed citizen by not only making it difficult to get a gun in the first place, but actually limit the effectiveness of the gun we can use by limiting our magazine capacity and the type of gun we can buy, or requiring features on a gun that actually make it harder to shoot accurately. This is insanity. We've got to stop letting these anti-gun groups, politicians, and yes, our president, sell us on the idea that restricting our two-way rights is the only way to make us safer. This was an African-American man you just heard telling that story. And come on now, the only people that should be making gun laws are people that know guns and know what the environment is and have experience in operating a gun and using a gun, and they understand it, or they're in law enforcement and understand it. He made a perfect scenario of talking about this woman that lives in a gated community that's never been around a gun and she serves on the city council or she serves in her state legislature and they're where the state gun laws are made. It should be somebody that knows what the heck they're dealing with and talking about, especially in life or death situations like this. Let me just tell you this. If you're going to limit the number of bullets that can be used in a magazine or a magazine that can be sold to hold X number of bullets. Let me give you an example. I got my first shotgun in 19, let me think it through, uh, 1968. I was a freshman in high school, sophomore in high school. I got a, a uh, Remington Model 11, and if you're a duck aficionado, you know how old that gun is. It's actually the model of the Remington Model 11 shotgun, 12-gauge shotgun. The way it looks, it looks just like a Browning Automatic. Browning Automatic, the Remington 11 was so popular back there in the 60s that they decided we need to make our guns look like one of them. And of course, Browning became the big uh, shooting, hunting shotgun. Browning kind of owns that. But here's the thing about how many bullets you can keep in a clip. Back then, they wanted to crack down on all these horrible duck hunters that were out there and they could put uh, 10 or 12 shells in their magazine and just keep shooting, bam, 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 at these poor, helpless ducks. So they made it be three shells at one time. That was the max. Now think about that. You're talking about duck hunting. If you know anything about duck hunting, if you're a novice, when you're shooting at a flying duck, especially one like a teal, sometimes an avid hunter that really knows what they're doing, teals fly so fast and they come by so quickly. If you're an avid hunter, it may take two or three just because you don't know where they are. 
So what does that mean if it transitions over to a handgun for personal security? What if you can only use a, a magazine that holds 10 bullets? And what if in a moment, I mean, nobody, nobody accosts a burglar breaking into your house and says, okay, Mr. Burglar, let's cut a deal. I don't have my gun in my hand. It's back in the closet. I don't have any uh, magazine in the gun. It's going to take me a few minutes to go find mine and stick it in there. Why don't you wait right here? I'll be back in a minute. That doesn't happen. It happens like that smash and grab at this Orlando jewelry store. It happens always in an instant. And what if you're in the dark of night in your house and you finally figure out you've got two or three people that have broken into your house? Lights aren't on for obvious purposes, but they're surreptitiously creeping through your house. And when you see them, you suddenly make a noise and they turn around and they start shooting. And you were shooting to save your life and the lives of those in the house that you love with you. And so what if you miss, or maybe there are three or four of them and you get to your ninth bullet and they're still shooting and you shoot that 10th one and they're still shooting. What the heck are you going to do? You're going to die. It's unrealistic. Let me just tell you this. I'll cut right to the chase and we'll move on. You want to stop gun violence? Get rid of the lawbreakers. Stop the criminals. Take them off the street. And do this rampant search. Find the illegal guns and take the people that have those illegal guns and those that are using them and put them in jail for doing what they did. They broke the law by having those guns, certainly by using those guns. Stop the law breaking. Well, we just can't find them all. Well, let me give you a starting point that will work. Make an announcement, Mr. Police Chief, Mr. Sheriff, Mr. Governor, Mr. Representative, Mr. Senator, and I said Mr. on all those pronouns and I'll get blasted for it later. That's okay. And say, hey, make an announcement. If you have a gun in your possession illegally, we're going to find you, we're going to arrest you and put you in jail, period. No questions asked. If you use a gun in an attempted crime, we're going to arrest you, we're going to put you in jail. If you kill somebody with a gun and you're a criminal and you're not supposed to have the gun or the gun is illegal, we're going to put you in jail for your life. And if this is a a death penalty state, you're going to be put to death for murder. And then enforce those. Do what the laws in your state say you should do. You know what would happen? Crime would be cut in half overnight in a year by 60%. We'd never do away with it totally, but you wouldn't see this rampant criminality happening around the streets of America, especially in these big cities where these far-left prosecutors are up there, no cash bail, and hey, that means if you are a gun criminal, you're going to get arrested, you go down and check in, give them your fingerprints and walk out, you can go do the same thing again, and they're doing it again and again in these big cities. Why? There's no accountability. Nobody's being held to account for their illegality. 
Now I'm going to step down off my bully pulpit. I'm going to talk about the upcoming election, the midterms. We've got some big U.S. senator races, very close, very contentious around the nation. One of the biggest is in Georgia, and it's between former NFL running back, all-pro Herschel Walker, and the incumbent is a pastor, Warnock is his last name. Warnock is the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, probably the most historical Baptist church in the nation. Raphael Warnock is the senior pastor there, and his church has gotten into some really bad territories. It owns a bunch of rental property, apartment rental property. So he's been accused, his church has been accused of evicting very aggressively, people that live in these apartments. And in that uh, debate with Herschel Walker, he flatly denied it. Well, he forcefully denied the charge that his church is trying to evict chronically homeless tenants, telling Georgia voters during that debate, those are false charges and an attempt to sully Ebenezer Baptist Church. But just two days later, the apartment complex owned by his church filed eviction proceedings against three additional residents with the goal of ousting tenants who owned owed as little as $115 in past rent. You know what? It never ceases to amaze me when these politicians forget that there is YouTube video that's out there. Everything you ever did on camera, it's there. And anything you've ever said, it's there, and you're going to get busted. Hey, you guys have a great day. We'll end the week together tomorrow at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Can you ever plan to be a surprise? Be ready for the new and unexpected. Here
Brasil, mano. 